Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. everybody, it's Wednesday, August 15th, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And rejoining us again, Stephanie Cook. Hey, hey, hey. All right, so we are back. We are ready to do some podcasting. Um, Bob, I'm trying to wait for the theme music then because I don't want to talk about the serious stuff while the theme music is still playing in my ears and for everyone to hear. Uh, so unfortunately this week we had, uh, someone passed away, someone pretty big in the comic book industry mm-hmm. uh, and, and Bob, I think you're the most, uh, informed to tell us about okay. this situation. Yeah. So why don't you let us know what's going on? Sure. Uh, it's Joe Kubert, who I guess most modern readers at this point know from his sons, Adam and Andy, mm-hmm. who are both doing work for mostly Marvel, I guess at this point, but all over the map. Mm-hmm. But Joe Kubert um, is is the last of a series of, of guys. He was his career began at age seventeen doing stories for DC back in the forties, uh, uh, Seven Soldiers of Victory. Wow! And became most famous, I guess, for doing GI Combat with Sergeant Rock and the, the Haunted Tank. He and he's the Hawkman artist. Hmm. But his Hawkman work, particularly, he was influenced by adventure comic strips. He had studied Alex Raymond's Flash Gordon and Russ Manning, and that sort of wonderfully expressive yet perfectly fine anatomy that was still exaggerated, but just enough that you said, wow, this is something special. It isn't just a painter. It's something different. Also founded the Kubert School, which has put so many graduates in all sorts of uh, fields into comics, writing and inking and, and drawing and he had a hell of a career and a great life, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So he will be missed. Joe Kubert at 85. All right. Thank you very much, Bob. We're going to talk about our books of the week here. Uh, Steve, you wanted to uh, start out. Get right into it, huh? Yeah, get right into yeah. it. I don't feel bad. I don't want to talk about this. We'll, 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 we'll be us a little bit later on in the show. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I, well my, my books are, are, are kind of creepy, kind of sad. <laughs> so I'll keep the mood running. Um, okay. So this past week, a lot of great books came out. Uh, I just want to talk briefly about a few of them. Uh, something that returned to me after a very, very long time. Before we did Talking Comics, um, I did not read comics for uh, at almost, almost at all. Um, I had a couple of trades. I had a couple of hardcovers uh, in the, you know, the bookshelf, but I wasn't keeping up on anything. And one thing that I severely missed that did keep me reading comics for years was Roman Dirge's Lenore. Um, so Lenore number six came out this past week, and they, the store I go to, Tor Comics, happened to have gotten a copy, and I decided to buy it. What the hell? I was so over, like, talk about like nostalgia overload. 
I was like transported back into the nineties when I started listening to like live and smashing pumpkins and all, all the ba- all the bands that I used to listen to back in the day. Um, but just pleasantly surprised by just the fact that he's taken this character. This character has been around for over 20 years or actually no, it's 20 years this year. And it's still absolutely hilarious. It's hilarious. There are new characters that I've never met before that I like automatically warmed up to. There was no like needing to get used to them. They were funny. They were in your face and just all kinds of crazy crap uh, happens in this comic. If you've never picked up a Lenore comic, you can pick this one up. No problem. What it is, is it's a cute little dead girl who likes to mess around with with animals and i i mean that in a uh in a very <laughs> in little nicest girl, playful, way possible, nicest way okay. possible. um sticking squirrels into birthday cakes and trying to bake them and things like that um okay. hiring clowns to come to the house to cheer her up not knowing that her friends they don't know who they are so they kill them at the door and put them in the basement it's fun <laughs> anyway uh moving on from that we have the creep number zero from dark horse comics the creep was awesome it's very, very moody. Um, it starts off with a suicide. So there you go. Mm, yeah. Some cheer for you. <laughs> um, it's all about a, uh, a man named Oxel who has basically taken up private eye and he gets a letter from an old, uh, gr- old girlfriend. He had a crush on her the whole bit. And her son's committed suicide and she feels that there are other reasons for him doing it. He's, he's not the kind of person to do this thing. Um, his other friend had committed suicide just a few weeks ago. What is the link? Now, the appeal of this book to me is that Oxel has a disease that basically um, it pushes his features forward, kind of like gigantism. Okay. So he's kind of grotesque. His, his chin's bigger, his cheekbones, his voice is very gravelly. And he's just, he's like this hulking mass of, of a guy Kids stare at him on the train. People disrespect him everywhere he goes just because of the way he looks. His character, the way that he is, the way that he deals with this case and how close he gets to it breaks all of that, like that stigma that surrounds him and breaks all of that and shows you the kind of person that he really is. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, really nice book. It's a it's a collection, I guess, from the Dark Horse Presents. They put um, all three of the contributions into this one issue. Oh, okay. Uh, it's written by John uh, Arcudi with uh, art by Jonathan Case. And it's just, it's super moody. It'll make you kind of sad, kind of wistful, but it's very powerful. Mm-hmm. So I like I like books that affect me. And I've been, I've thought about it every day since I read it and put it down. Wow. So yeah. Um, so that's The Creep number one from Dark Horse. Uh, definitely check it out. I'm looking forward to, to the next issue. And finally... Lastly, uh, but certainly not the least, I finally got around to reading Jeff Lemire's Lost Dogs. Holy shit. (laughs) Okay, now, what this is, this is one of his much earlier uh, pieces of work, Mm -hmm. and it's, obviously, you guys, you can't see on the radio, but you guys can see it. It's extremely, extremely crude, early Jeff Lemire. Um, I've been drawing for a long time, and when I read this book and I read the forward by him and everything that he was explaining how you go back and you look at things that you've done and you kind of cringe a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you get nostalgic, but at the same time, you realize the mistakes that you had made. Right. Now, I've been drawing my characters for several years, and but they all started from somewhere. They all had a foundation. 
that's exactly what this book reminded me of is that all that old work and the way that that I've changed my style over the years, I've refined it, I've made things a little bit smoother. And obviously in stuff like Sweet Tooth and The Underwater Welder, you can see his talent has grown over the years. So what The Lost Dogs is about is, again, a very, very, perhaps the saddest book in my pile Hmm. of, again, a gigantic man. He's about eight feet tall, just humongous, uh, wants to take his wife and daughter. They live a very simple life, and it's supposed to be a special night. He takes them into the city to go and see a puppet show. Um, pay close if you read this book. Pay close attention to the puppet show. It's going to be kind of you know it's going to come up again mm. and again in the book. Um, some really, really, really terrible things happen, and it's one of those types of books where when you think it can't get any worse for the main character, it does all the way up until the end. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the equivalent of sitting down to one of those movies that somebody told you, be mm-hmm. like, it's really, really, really good, but it's going to make you really, really sad. Yeah. And you're like, oh boy, mm. I can't fucking wait to watch that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you have to be in that kind of mood. Yeah. Um, so me not knowing that it was like that and reading it in a doctor's office, <laughs> I was uh, trying to you know sit there and read it and kind of like, hide mask my my emotions going on as i was reading because i felt really really bad for this guy it's a very very powerful book i totally recommend it if you're in the mood for something a little bit darker um but again a book that you will will stay with you mm-hmm. and if also if you want to just check out jeff lemire before he was doing all of his other stuff that he's known for yeah um it is certainly an awesome book it's only nine dollars on amazon mm-hmm. and uh it's lost dogs so those are my books nice nice very nice Stephanie, what have you got from your in your absence? What have you read and what have you loved? Oh my goodness, I had to pick through a zillion different books that I had read. Um, but the one that I kind of decided on was one I would have talked about last week had I been on the show. <laughs> um, but Steve's gonna laugh. Obscure web comic time. Um, it's a web comic called up, The Bobby. Abominable yeah. Charles Christopher, um, which is written by. Written and drawn by Carl Kershaw. Um, it's a mostly black and white watercolorish webcomic that, again, Carl Kershaw does in addition that he writes and uh, draws. Um, it follows the story of a Yeti named Christopher, you know, the <laughs> okay. abominable Charles yeah. Christopher. And he's on a mission to kind of keep his forest and his friends in the forest safe. Um, He's a really cool character, and the way he's drawn, actually, um, Steve, you'll be able to kind of understand this. He kind mm. of is drawn a bit like, um, he reminds me of one of Miyazaki's characters, like Totoro or um, something like that, where um, uh, they don't talk, but they have like so much emotion that comes from their facial expressions. Oh, I love that. Do you know, you know what I'm talking about, Steve, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Yeah. Um, me and he does Miyazaki remind me a lot of friends. Totoro again. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's such a great series. It's so great. I believe it was um it was nominated in 2008 and 2010 for best digital comic at the Eisners. I don't think it won, but it was nominated. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Um the comic strips updated every Wednesday over at the website abominable.cc, which I will put up on the post later on. Well, Later on today, you guys will see it tomorrow or on Wednesday. They'll be seeing it right now. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, um, but the really cool thing about this right now is the book, um, the webcomic is collected in a book one. 
So you can actually pick up the series in physical form. Um, good, oh, for, nice. good for I someone believe, like um, me. There's, uh, well, yeah, there was like a hardcover that was in a sort of faux suede, um, but I think that's sold out now. And they have a soft cover that you can pick up for $20 on the website or um, for $40, you can get that same soft cover, but um, Carl Kershaw will include a signed pen and ink drawing in the book, Ooh. which I personally think is a better deal because he drew um, a little illustration in mine of one of the characters, and I adore it. Um, I will say one more thing about it and then, you know, pass the torch. Um, people who know Still me. Still doing the Olympics, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess the Olympics are over, so yeah. maybe I'm a little passe on that. But um, So people who know me know that I don't cry very easily, like especially when I watch like movies and TV shows. It really takes a lot for something to kind of evoke a teary kind of response. She's tough. Um, pardon? You said you're tough. Yeah, you know. Um, the you, finale you of hockey, Six Feet Under be. is probably the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that like made me ball like a baby. What made you ball like a baby? Sorry, I missed that. Oh, the series finale of Six Feet Under. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. I'm the so exact good. opposite. I, um, I cry at, like everything. <laughs> Anything slightly emotional. I've become very emotional <laughs> as of like the last year. Tears just start coming down my face. I'm like, I don't even, I don't even realize it. I'm I like, don't tear. I well up yeah. and then it stops. <laughs> well, I can get like that, but like there's, there's very few things that have actually made me like cry. Like at six feet under the end of that, I was literally bawling. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I actually just started watching six feet under. And every time under, I hear you've never seen it? No? During what? That, <laughs> I, oh. like, I'm, it just, it makes me want to cry. Oh, can I be here when you watch the finale, please? Sure. Yeah. Awesome. It's just Steve staring at me while I'm yeah. crying. Oh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be your buddy, man. I'm going to be there with a box of tissues. I'll spot you. Well, anyways. So um, basically, the abominable Charles Christopher was so well written and so emotionally brilliant that at one point in time, it actually brought me to tears. Wow. So there's that. Yeah. Wow, Go I read totally it. want to cry. Abominable.cc is the regular webcomic, and you can, again... Go to that same website. There's a store, and you can pick up book one for $20 or $40 with original art. Very cool. It's a plan. Very cool. Um, is that all you want to talk about today, Stephanie, or do you have anything else you wanted to mention? Well, I've got lots I want to talk about, but I'll pass the torch for now. Okay. Um, okay. Well, we're t- we were talking about welling up, crying, and I mentioned that I'm a little bit of a puss when it comes to those kind of things. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man number four. Oh. Uh, now, Spider-Man number four is exactly what I was waiting for when the series started. I was waiting for this issue. I was waiting for the issue where Aunt May sees, uh, you know, her deceased nephew now grown, mm-hmm. and for the moment where Peter sees Gwen, you know, still alive. Uh, you know, Brian Michael Bendis uh, writing Aunt Sarah Pacelli art. It, it was exactly what I wanted it to be, you know, and. It's one of those instances where you know there's not a lot of plot, uh, forward motion in, in this book, and maybe if you were thinking about it in a very kind of meta context, saying like, you know, it, this is a number four out of five, there should have been more plot movement, but it, it's emotionally, it's emotionally right on to me. It every moment I felt like I was about to, you know, to to, to break because these are relationships and characters that I, I very much care about. You know, he's my sure. favorite comic book character and. Um, you know, his stuff really gets me more than anything else. And most of the, the comic just takes place inside Aunt May's house. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's Peter and Miles, um, Gwen and Aunt May, just all sitting around, and you know, it's kind of them swapping stories. And Gwen is very much more, you know, into talking to Peter. Aunt May is a little more standoffish, and Gwen's asking questions about you know what her, what his world is like, and you know, Peter asks if MJ is a model here. And and Gwen kind of freaks out, you know. Uh, there's like all that kind of like jealousy and stuff with MJ in those moments. And I mean, there's a moment where Gwen asks, "Am I cool? Yeah, where you come from?" Because because he says you're really cool, you know. And he says, "Am I cool where you came from too?" And he goes, "Really cool." And, and she asks, "Are we together?" And you know, he changes the subject. He can't he can't answer her, you know. Um, and the whole book kind of Aunt May is very skittish about talking to Peter or, you know, touching Peter. And, and the moment where that kind of all comes to a head is just really emotional and really great. And then at the end, it kind of breaks back into the normal story. And the nice thing about, though, is that it, they managed to do it while not losing Miles in the situation. Like, Miles is there the whole time, and he's being himself, and he does some really funny stuff. He, he kind of puts on Peter's web shooters uh, and kind of messes around with those a little bit, and there's some really <laughs> funny moments with that. And... The, you know, like I always say about Bendis, he knows how to write Spider-Man, you know, 100%. And uh, Pacelli's art is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it, both in action scenes and in emotional small moments, it's just, it, it's kind of, it, it's kind of the exact art style uh, that I love. You know, it's not too showy, it's not too realistic. You know, it's got enough room for impression, but it's still got that basis in, in, in reality in, in in a lot of ways. And uh, just loved it. Just loved it. It was. It's been my. It's my favorite issue of the the miniseries. Oh yeah, no so doubt. far. Well, I may have to buy this. I checked out after the third one. It seemed like it wasn't going anywhere. No, it, was, the it seemed very stretched out, and it was just, uh, mm-hmm. four dollars. I right now I'm gonna have to spend. Yeah, this, no, the fourth it, issue was worth all yeah. of it. Yeah, okay. it, to me, like this was when they announced it. We talked about when they announced it. We, I talked about that him going to see Gwen. You know what that would be like, and this was they paid all that off and mm-hmm. written really really well. And I love that they just. It's just a scene. It's just them sitting around talking, you know. And I, I love that. That's why I always love the that in Spider-Man books. Uh, you know, real quick, uh, Batman number twelve it, it was great, and that's no surprise. But the reason to talk about it is that Becky Cloonan is the penciler on this, and she's the first woman in DC's history to pencil a Batman or Detective Comics book. Yeah, hmm. a book called Batman or Detective Comics. First one to do it. Uh, Congratulations. Yeah, and the art is great. Uh, it remind it reminds me of a less uh, intense Raphael Albuquerque art, you know, very you know thick, clean lines, you know, um, a little slightly anime ish at, at points, you know. Uh, but the subject matter deals with stuff, and I said this in my review. We've been hearing about all this, you know, uh, this character is gonna be this character is gay, and these characters are getting married, and this book deals with those things in a much more real-world situation with much less fanfare. It just does it because that's what is like in life, and I love that. You know? And this new character, Harper, is great. Mm-hmm. She's great. I, I, this Batman's barely in this book, and I did not care in the least that Batman was barely in this book. You know? she is, I'm so excited that she's going to be part of this situation going forward because great, great character. Did any of you guys get a chance to read it? Yeah, it was, yeah, it's a great little flash backwards to something that happened with issue six. Issue six, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's now paid off. Mm-hmm. And he has an ally, for him reluctantly, I guess. Yes. Yeah. 
But it's, you can't give too much away here. No, no, no. Because it's not. still too soon. But you're going to love this character. Her brother is really good, too. Yeah, I really, mean, really good. Real great human characters. Mm-hmm. Batman is the Dark Knight. He's this scary guy who shows up in that one scene in the alleyway. Yeah. And is just, yeah, that's what Batman should be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He shows up, something bad's happened, mm-hmm. and just scares the bejesus out of somebody yeah those criminals don't they're they're, they're kind of scared they're a cowardly and superstitious <laughs> lot yeah. to go all the way back to detective 27 uh, now highly recommended yeah fun book it's it's pretty great stuff um steve what did you think of it i loved it yeah. i loved the um i love the progression mm-hmm. of her relationship with mm-hmm. batman she yeah. had to kind of prove herself mm-hmm. and uh i don't want to say much more but yeah no great great character moments uh very strong character to be introduced into the universe and to to be used again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing more from her. I think it's a great. I think it's a great match. Yeah, it is. And so. it, it also calls back to issue one too. That she goes to that party at Bruce's at the at Wayne Manor, and that's the beginning of issue one of this New Fifty Two Batman, hmm. where he's announcing the yeah. initiative. You know, um, and apparently, if you go back and read Batman number one, she's there. Well, she kind of reminds me of yeah. like almost like a successor for Lucius Fox. In a yeah. way, mm-hmm. yeah. Know, she's like, also got a little bit of like the little oracle, a little oracle, a little bit yeah. of Robin in her, you know, in a way she, you know, that, that kind of crusading to be Batman's companion. Stephanie, did you get a chance to read it? I didn't yet. That's okay. going to be on my list this week. I have a couple days set aside to oh. literally like marathon comics for like two days straight. So that's in there, but I haven't had a chance to pick it up yet. All right, um, and off the pot. Oh, Punk Rock Jesus number two, amazing. Yes. Uh, completely. I, I really. I liked issue one a lot. I wasn't quite on the in the camp where I was totally sold on it, but after this issue, completely sold. Uh, but on the not so positive note, and I'm going to apologize to our listener Repstones before we even, I even say this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Gambit number one came out, and we often talk about number ones. And I, I feel like in the past couple of months, we've read a lot of great number ones. You know, uh, Captain Marvel number one was great. Mm. Hawkeye number one was great. Yes. Uh, this is not so great. Uh, you know, for one thing, it, it lacks the personality of, of the character to me. You know, that character is a character that I loved when I was a kid, when I watched the X-Men the Animated Series. Next Wolverine, he was my favorite character on the show. Wow. And there's something cool about him, something unique about him, and they don't bring that this, to this book at all. This could be any character. Uh, I was excited by the fact that it seemed like it was going to be a heist book, that it was going to be a book where almost like an Ocean's Eleven superhero thing. Everything he does is just very standard. I've seen it a thousand times before. He steals the guy's voice recognition to get into the vault. He steals his eye print. It's all stuff you've seen a thousand times before. But top it all off, there's no motivation for the character to do any of the things he's doing. It, 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 he's just doing it because he feels like robbing stuff. <laughs> you know. And this guy's a bad guy, and that's fine, but that's not enough. You have to have a reason to do what you're doing, uh, and it's just not there. And the art, to me, felt very flat. They're going for this very realistic... Thing, and it just does not work. I didn't know that God, what, Gambit's a villain in this? He's not a no. villain. He's, he's just, he's kind of, he's gone through a lot of crap in X-Men Legacy, I guess, with Rogue and whatever's been yeah. going on. And he's just taking a break from the X-Men. Um, and he's kind of going back to being like a con man, but he's only conning bad people. Or at least that's the point I'm getting out of this thing. What a guy. Yeah. The, the problem is, like, he picks this guy just because he's rich and he's evil. There's no reasoning behind it. There's no personal reason behind it, at least not that we know of yet. And that makes it just not a very engaging issue. Hmm. Uh, not very good art, or not art. Like, it feels very flat static to me. It feels like 
individual paintings of things and not a continuous story. None of it looked like Gambit either. There's no. like one panel. It's, is this Bucky? Yeah. Who's this standing here in this panel? Yeah. I, I, read, I read through it just before we came on, and two-thirds of the way through, I was bored. <laughs> Got to the end, had to go back to the beginning. And I asked you, Bobby, why is he doing this? Yeah. Because it's never really spelled no. out. He, he is, because he can, because yeah. he wants to, because he's bored, he's angry, he's mm-hmm. whatever. Ugh. Yeah. And is he ever Gambit? Does he ever feel like no, he Gambit never, in this book at all? No, and he, that's, what I, that's what I meant by it could have been anybody's book. Yeah. It could have been any hero. The only thing he does that's slightly Gambit is he energizes a toothpick and throws it to create a dis- distraction. Ooh. But, okay, and you could have done <laughs> that with, like a, with like, a, like a smoke bomb or something if you were any other random character. Uh, so... It just it doesn't scream to me. There's nothing that feels immediate about it. Nothing that feels special about it. Um, and that's a shame because he has the potential to be a really cool character, and it's just not there. It's not there at all. Uh, so ending that on a negative note. <laughs> right, but we won't mention names. Nobody did this book. We won't. Uh, well, I mean, I can. Men- I no, can men- no, we will. No, no, no. Let's not tell tales out of school. Uh, it's James Osmus uh, uh, <laughs> and Clay Mann is the artist. They're, it's not very. Oh, good. That sounds like a pseudonym. Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not very good. So that, that's Gambit number one is a no go. If you have, if you're thinking about getting it, I recommend not picking it up. Yeah. Ooh, so we don't do that much. We do not, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> Okay, well, first thing is I picked up something older, but we had a question last week or two weeks ago maybe about things uh, to get people into comics. And this is Go Girl. It's the third volume of this. And (laughs) Trina Robbins, who was our guest, did this. It's a wonderful book. for. uh, It's a teenage superheroine whose mom was a superhero back in the 70s, and she discovers she can fly, and she has... You know, know, obviously her kids sort of in school know who she is, so there's that whole aspect of it. And there's a whole issue about robots and duplicates and all kinds of old superhero stuff. Um, Some crazy hair going on. on Crazy hair. Well, in the second story in this, it's a gaming competition, the computer club in school, and the really nerdy guy on the other side ends up creating a game that sucks everybody, and they come out looking kind of anime. It looks like Michael Jackson's girlfriend from the Thriller video. <laughs> that character it does. might be yes. her. It might be her, but it, it would be a really great... They're, they're very... Uh, little, slightly larger than Digest, but slightly shorter than comics. And these would be great if you have a 10 to 13-year-old girl who a lot of things aren't around for anymore. This is a great little thing, and they're all rather cheap. Then Go, go girl. Go girl. <laughs> it's a theme. Then there's It Girl. Oh, and the Atomics, right? It Girl and the Atomics, which are from Mad Men. Mm-hmm. And there was... Uh, the comic, not the TV show? No, that's true. That would be very different. <laughs> yeah. Though it's sort of set in the same period, oh, really? at least in the same sort of style. That's funny. Um, she was part of this superhero team that uh, was in the Mike Goldred's Mad Men books. Mm-hmm. And now they've decided to tell her story for a bit. And she this opens with... It's a slightly different art style than you're inspect- expecting here. And it's very sort of 1970s. Oh, it's really cool. Looking. Sort of Marvel. But it's, it's a... Oh, I, it's, a, it's a trick. Oh, yeah? It's a trick. Because it, it, it turns out that that's, that's her fantasy version of herself. <laughs> She's playing a video game of herself. Oh, okay. And not doing very well either. <laughs> uh, but she's just bored. Mm-hmm. Because the other, her the teammates are off in space on, on a rock tour or something. Yeah, they're uh, they're on, they're on uh, yeah they are they're on tour. They're a yeah. space band. Yeah, so they're they're out on tour. So she's trying to come up with something to do. She finds one of her ex supervillain sparring partners, the skunk, 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And think he's robbing a porn shop, but he's not. He's just trying to get some money because now he's <laughs> trying to be straight. So she actually gives him money. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Pay me back instead of them. Then she ends up, again, it's just out of sheer boredom, decides she needs to be a better superheroine. So what she decides to do is just volunteer for scientific research for a mm-hmm. mad scientist, mm-hmm. which goes really badly, as you can imagine. I won't say anything more about that, but I would hardly recommend it grows. Steve, did you? I, yeah, I read it. I liked it. I liked it. It was very, um, it screams okay. Silver Age, that, that yeah. whole vibe. Um, the artwork is super cool. And uh, yeah, no, I want, um, it's one of those books that I really enjoyed, but I still, I want more from it. Like I wasn't bowled over when I put it down, but I still enjoyed it a great deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, I'm wait. I'm definitely going to check out issue number two. I'm just waiting for that, like that one thing to happen to kick me over mm-hmm. to the side where I'm like completely excited to read it. But no, it was still very cool. It had a lot of personality, yeah, which always helps. I was a little concerned it would be very hard to pick up the threads of what was going on. But there's no. a little inside cover thing, and you're, the characters are spelled out so quickly and so completely. You it's get funny where too. you're going, which helps. Is that Battle Pug on the back? It is Battle yep. Pug on the back. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> um, interesting about it though I'm looking at the cover right now and you know it says Michael Allred's It Girl it's you know Allred's right. signature on it all this other you know um, he did the cover words he, on it yeah, he, he did the cover Mrs. did the cover he did not write it though it's, no, it's, it's Jamie no. Rich and Mike Norton it's interesting I mean which is yeah. that's not a detriment to the book at all I mean you know that's fine but it's just an interesting way to sell it you know it's obviously they know Who's buying? Yeah, where their bread is buttered. But so the inside art is—it's a—it's a. Would you say it's an amalgam of what all red style is and a silver age sort of style? It's not quite so quirky. No, no. it's. Well, but still not deadly serious either. I gotta tell you that cover for like the main cover for FF, Mike Allred's main cover. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. it. I'm in love with that cover. The very kind of old school looking FF in the corner yeah. and all the, and yeah, I love that cover. Uh, then to the last thing, it's uh, DC Comics presents Wonder Woman Adventures 100-page spectacular. And you look at this, it's $8, which is, is mm-hmm. you're thinking quite a lot. But what it collects here is four issues of the young adult DC animated universe characters. Oh, okay. It's Wonder Woman-centric story. So you get the first issue, which is a JLA story with the super, super villain team-up kind of mm-hmm. thing where Grodd and uh, Cheat and everybody get pulled apart and then the big fight scenes. Uh, second one is a cheetah story where she's trying to steal Diana's powers through some crazy thing. Uh, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern story that is really, really interesting. He loses faith in being a superhero. He makes a mistake in a hostage situation. Somebody mm-hmm. gets hurt. And what I thought was going to happen, he's holding the ring and says, I wish I wasn't Green Lantern and gets sucked into the ring in <laughs> essence. So you're expecting, okay, this is going to be It's a Wonderful Life with Green yeah. Lantern. No, he ends up in this parallel universe that's ruled by a character called Toxis, who rules by despair. Ooh. Uh, Diana has to go to Jason Blood, the demon, mm-hmm. to find her way in there to get him out, but she can only go there without her powers. Ooh. So you get to see Diana doing Diana stuff. And she says, well, my combat training might be enough, and there are hordes of people, and convinces him to believe in himself. Sounds dangerous. Sounds dangerous. Uh, then the last story, which is my favorite, and it's worth the $8 all by itself. Steve, you'll like that one. Go to the last story. Right. It's called The Truth About Cats and Gods. Ooh. Um, Catwoman steals Wonder Woman's lasso for some guy who needs it to, uh, to fulfill a ritual so he can become a cat god. 
<laughs> she realizes that he is just buggy and goes to Wonder Woman to tell him, well, I'm going to need some help with this. And Wonder Woman's not really happy about having her lasso stolen. It goes pretty badly, especially when this guy turns into a 70-foot-tall giant cat god. I love the artwork, on, uh, on the, especially on Catwoman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a great action sequences in these. Um, it is not kitty-kitty to the point of where you're seeing the tiny tunes. If it wasn't for the, the it was a slightly animated <laughs> style, this is a Silver Age, Bronze Age mm-hmm. story that, yeah. yeah. I want to ask you a question about you, this. You have to have a midriff showing. Yeah, it's it, you, you can't see it, but on the cover, I, Bob is known for, for being a little um, iffy with the, the exposure of our female characters and whatnot. And on this cover, Wonder Woman's like barely clothed at all. And I just want to know well, what you thought. That's her regular outfit. She's been grabbed by this character, as you'd see during the book. I think it's a little gratuitous. Have you ever seen any animes where when they punch each other, their clothes explode off of their bodies? That's, that's exactly... Looney, that's all Looney Tunes. That's exactly right. what this looks like to me. Um, <laughs> I read these, the four stories here, and these strike me as the characters I know. Mm-hmm. That's which, awesome. Which is... Saying something considering where we're at, mostly. But this is a great read. Did that if just come want, out? Yeah, came out this oh, week. Okay, very and cool. So that's it for me. So Wonder Woman Adventures. Yep, hundred page spectacular. Okay, and it's a collection of those stories. Yeah, it's four issues combined in one. So at two dollars an issue, yeah. and you can't find those things. The stores don't stock those mm-hmm. very much, so you can get them all in one place. They all sound like pretty quality issues too. Yes, they are. Very nice, very nice. It's got a Kyle Rayner Green Lantern story, so that yeah. makes me excited. Mm-hmm. And Wally West's Flash. Well, that's also very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're hitting all the right notes. Bobby's grabbing his wallet already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I got to get this book. Um, so, yeah. Well, Stephanie, we each talked about like three books. So if you wanted to maybe throw another book in, you're more than welcome to. I know. I spent all this time like, you know, getting my list down to a few things, and then you guys just went to town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't have anything. I kind of prepared, you know. Next week, but oh. I'll mention because you brought it up. Battle pugs, guys. Battle pug, rather. <laughs> you should definitely be reading that. It's also a web comic, which is by Mike Norton, yes. who I will, you know, transition into the next comic that I think you all should be reading. Revival number two. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm so excited. It's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> it's been a really, really long time. I think since two back-to-back issues and two you know, starting points are just so incredibly good and so incredibly captivating. Number one was amazing, just left you wanting so much more. And number two, I want number three, like (laughs) last week. Nice. It's so great. Can't wait for you all to read it. Tim Seeley and Mike Norton are doing amazing work with it. Mm. Please buy it. I think I said this on the review that's on the site. But if this series gets canceled before, you know, its proper run, I will hold you all personally responsible. <laughs> She'll go to your house like Jane Silent and Bob. <laughs> yeah. Shut out of you. you are the ones who are the ball lickers. Did you buy Revival? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> Die! Um, bastards. Seriously, go buy it because it deserves all your money. It comes out today, right? Yeah, it, it comes does. Out today. And Woo. when it comes out in trade paperback, I'm going to buy it. When it comes out in like the deluxe edition, I'm going to buy it. You know, supposing it stays good, but right. from these first two issues, I'm going to hope and I'm going to guess that it has a lot of potential. Very Stephanie's cool. Stephanie's a fan. Yeah, she's definitely I'm a, fan. a fan. 
Nice. All right. Um, so before we take the break, I do want to say uh, on the podcast, a special thank you to Mr. Brian Verderosa, because you wouldn't be hearing this podcast right now if it wasn't for him, because our mixer, which is the thing that is the reason why we can record anything, broke. And Brian spent hours with me on the phone coming up w- w- with the mixer to find. We like tracked it down like three different stores. Finally found a store that had it in the area. He hooked me up with a price because you know, I got him a place where he worked. Uh, just to, it was... You know, he was a hero move because we wouldn't be able to record tonight. He's an upstanding citizen. He is. Yeah, so, a very hairy, upstanding it's citizen. He's very hairy. He's very hairy. <laughs> Who drinks really bad beer. He does we drink really bad beer. our hats to you. Yeah, he drinks like natural light. He's amazing. He has two <laughs> goatees. He has one on his face and one on his neck. It's true. It's amazing. It's absolutely that's true. Not, that's Don't tell me that. That You'd be surprised. Yeah, he he knows it too. I want to know. He knows it. He's amazing. He's a great guy. He's a great dude, and I want to. Yeah, I want to thank him uh, so much. Let him know at Brian Verderosa on Twitter. Be like, hey, thanks for yeah. He puts stories up on our sites. He has good ones. Yes, he does. He does. He he's a good writer too. So he was one of the original uh, four horsemen of the (laughs) shitty podcast that it used to be. He was. He was. Well, when we started out, it wasn't that bad, and it wasn't because of the people on it. It was just because we had no like format. It was just we were just like, let's talk about every book we've read this week. Yeah, let's talk about the entire DC fifty two. Yeah, yeah. In what one podcast? One one podcast. Yeah. It was a lot. It was a lot. That first podcast was a mess. It was a long time. All right. Um, how far we've come? Don't go back and listen. How far we've come? Uh, all right. Put that on on the DVD bonus features. Yeah, it's an Easter egg. Uh, so (laughs) we're gonna take a little break and we're gonna come back and today we're gonna be doing a little different. We're gonna be talking about what to us makes the perfect comic book. So we're going to have a, a fun little conversation here. It's a little something that we haven't really done something like this for a while now. It's kind of almost like uh, philosophical discussion almost mm. in, in some ways. Not, I mean, yeah, but you know. Deep. Socrates. Philosophy, yes, like Socrates. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we all have reviewed books on the site and we review books on this show as well. And, you know, we're all kind of working off our own criteria for you know what we think is great, what we think is good, what we think is bad. I mean, to some extent, there's some of it that's not subjective. If something looks bad, it looks bad, you know. And bad writing is bad writing, you know. But when you get into the kind of l- less obvious things, then the the really kind of subjective nature comes into it. And you know, necessarily, what I think is the best book in the world is not what Steve's gonna think is the best book in the world, or Stephanie, or Bob. Especially not Bob. Bob and I disagree on a lot oh. of things. Um, <laughs> not that saying I'm right, but I'm just saying, you know, we ha- tend to have interesting philosophical differences in some of our critiques. Uh, so I, I want to talk about uh, what we think personally makes a, a perfect book. You know, if you even believe there's such thing as a perfect book. Um, and Bob, you also brought up talking about, you know, a single issue is one thing, but a whole series is a different, mm-hmm. a different story. So... Um, I just want to have a free-flowing discussion. I'm sure we'll start out of us kind of individual, and then I'm sure we'll break into a more kind of communal discussion. Um, Bob, you want to start us out? Sure. First thing, I want a representational cover. Okay. I am sick to death of looking at the rack every week 
and every cover is a pose of someone either hands on hips with gun, explosions, whatever, and it says nothing about the story inside. If you have a cover that, that is a scene from the story, even if it's fudged a little bit to make a better cover, it gives you an idea, do I want to buy this? Am I interested? Just looking at the cover. Forget picking up and thumbing through it. It's there. And I think it's just a lost art. Now, where, where you would have looked in the old days, and the cover of FF34 did not look like the cover of 48, and it was something that was going on inside... I would challenge you now to, if I took the numbers off random comic books and said, okay, what issue of Batman is this by number? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They're mm-hmm. all kind of the same. So starting from the cover, I want that. I understand why they've gone to these inner sort of recap pages because it is kind of dense. I do like it. I liked it better when they managed to explain them within the story themselves. But maybe it's so dense now we have to go to that. But I... I'll go back to you know what Stan and guys like Jim Shooter said. You should be able to, within the first three or four pages, it's somebody's first comic, too, and first comic of that series. Give me a recap of who these people are, what their relationships are to each other, without having someone ha- actually have to you know have a caption. Um, in the in old FF books, Stan would always make sure that Johnny referred to Sue as Sis and Susan. Mm-hmm. So within the first two or three word balloons, you know who they were to each other. Reed would say something to Ben. He'd say something back about old buddy or some other thing or stretcho or whatever. And you kind of knew who they were. So I like setting the table that way painlessly, which, is, which should be nice. I like, I like done in ones, but I don't mind arcs. I just don't want them endless. Hmm. Uh, forward movement of the plot. Give me a subplot that can bubble up and then come to the four, two or three issues down and just keep moving through. I'm vented out, so we could, we could, <laughs> we could lose some of that at this point. It, it can't be Wagner all the time. It would be nice if we, we took a break, and that's one of the things that we've, I think we've all discovered with Hickman's work, that you have these little sidebar things that are nice. Um, action, yes. Doesn't have to be all out all the time. Uh, quiet issues are good. In that, though, if you have a quiet issue, I'd like to see some drama to it. I Mentioning a book that came out this week, I didn't really like reading an entire New Avengers that was a board meeting. Okay. As someone pointed out, <laughs> waiting, waiting for Namer, which they should have called it, <laughs> where nothing really gets accomplished. We spent 22 pages, and I spent $4, uh, I hate to be mercenary, and not much went on. And it wasn't a nice nothing going on. It was just sort of a waste of time. So if you can tie up a big storyline, great. Go for that. Compress it a little bit. I'm not so unhappy with that. Emotion is good. Human emotion, real characters acting as they're supposed to. I want characters on model. Uh, Adult books can be as adult as they want. I don't want... uh, I don't want books that were designed for younger readers to now be tainted with something else altogether. Um, that's about it for me. That sort of covers everything. Who's, <laughs> who's next? And we'll start arguing well, I later. I actually wanted to make please uh, talk about Go ahead. your point with the covers for a second. Um, when I was, I don't know what convention, but I had a chance to listen to Adam Hughes speak about the work uh, on doing cover art. And I get what you're saying too, but I just wanted to kind of talk about what he said, which was really interesting to me. Um, 
he mentioned that his job as a cover artist, because, I mean, Adam Hughes doesn't really do interiors. Mm -hmm. So he's hired on, like, with the sole purpose of marketing a book. You know, we don't have, like, four or five comics every week coming out. We have, like, shit tons of comics (laughs) coming out every single week. And so you go into a comic book store, and there is a wall of new releases, you know. And, I mean, to be a fair representation of what's in the book... That's fine. It's really fine, but it isn't always eye-catching. And um, in this industry right now, you need to be able to draw, like, the eye to your comic. So, like Adam Hughes was saying, like, when he was drawing the Wonder Woman covers, his job is to make it more appealing than, like, Wonder Boy and Wolverine. Because, you know, those are what's around. And if somebody looks at his cover, sees it, and picks it up, you know, he's done his work as a cover artist, and now it's his, like, interiors artist interior artists uh, job Mm -hmm. to do the Mm -hmm. rest and to kind of bring the reader in and sell the comic for you know the rest of the team Mm -hmm. i agree but only to a point he is in that upper class of cover artists that people are buying the books if i drew the inside and it had an adam hughes cover (laughs) it would sell If there really, if there were blank pages inside, there, I mean, he has books of his covers. Mm-hmm. If it's an Alex Ross cover, if it's Hughes, for people of my generation, you see an Alan Davis cover, it's like, oh, I'm interested, or Walt mm-hmm. Simonson or something. Mm-hmm. It's just if if you look at that rack on the on in the store, you go to Midtown Comics and it's 47 feet of comic books, and all of them look exactly the same in terms of the way they're posed. It's a little numbing, and that, but for that, an Adam Hughes cover will stick out, and that mm-hmm. book will sell probably an extra 10 or 15%, I don't know what the numbers are, mm-hmm. above what the book would have had somebody else on the cover. Right. But I, I, I just think, wanted to bring that up. Because no, I it's, it a, it's a great point. point. Yeah. As as, but there yeah. are people who are, the, you know, that's their job, is to, just yeah. to sell those books. So that's, I agree. Um, it's, for the point of the covers, I didn't even think about this when I was thinking about this whole idea. My problem really isn't. I don't mind covers that are aren't necessarily featuring scenes from the books, or are more representational. In fact, of mood, like the cover of Batman Twelve is this lightning strike hitting Batman, and that kind of evokes you know the the character of Harper is works with electricity, and there's there's things in there that's a tonal thing that happens there. Um, my only, my problem with covers is only when they depict specific events that don't occur inside the book. It's a cheat. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I talked about Spider-Man number four before. The cover of Spider-Man number four is Peter holding, like, what looks like a dead Miles Morales. Yes. There's not even close to anything that happens like that. Miles isn't isn't even in any danger for the entire issue. So that, to me, is a little bit misleading for someone who is only, who sees that and goes, oh my God, I gotta pick up this book, I gotta buy this book because of that, you know? It got me to not buy it. Okay. Actually. Mm. After having read the, the third one, it was right. sort of, oh, I don't want to read that. Right. That was the end of it. So. so that in that way, that kind of bothers me. Um, but much to me, like, to me, a cover of a comic book is like a movie poster. You know, it's just the way that the company is advertising to you, this is what the book is. You know, to me, like, degrading the quality of the comic book because of the cover would be like, oh, I don't like the cover. I don't like the cover art of this, you know, uh, Hunger Games book, you know, or whatever. To me, it's just, it, it's just, it's the the front of the book, and I look at it, I look at it, you know, and if it's pretty, it's nice. But you know, to me, it's more about what's inside those pages than what that cover is. If you can't get someone to get past 
the cover. If again, if, if you've, I, I hate to put this point on it. You've been reading books for a few yeah. years, yeah. And it's this era where that's all there ever was. Mm. What was before drew you into the book. I want to see how does the Joker do that. How does how does the FF get out of this? Mm-hmm. Why are the Avengers and the X Men fighting with each other? What's going on? I want to read that. As opposed to two of them standing there in the random AVX covers with their fists up in the air. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw that last month and the month before and the month before mm-hmm. and the month before. It all blends together into nothing. If you go through a box and look at the last three years of X-Men or whatever, again, pull the numbers off. They're all exactly the same. And if this was working so well... Right, but that's a different discussion. I mean, I know, but I don't want to bleed into a discussion about sales and marketing and stuff like that Mm -hmm. because this is not. I I want. I don't want. We've been talking about that like the last couple of weeks. We talked about that a lot, and I don't want to keep talking about that stuff because really, to me, that part of the industry is like the least interesting part of it to me. You know, like I I want to talk about the things that we love and the things and the things that that. about the books that we love. Um, Steve, what about you? What what for you (laughs) makes a perfect comic? Well. One thing that I want to, I'm not going to talk about covers. Um, <laughs> one thing that I wanted to mention that I'm going to mention it now before I forget it is something that I, uh, I've been seeing in Alabaster Wolves, uh, and that's by Caitlin R. Kiernan with uh, art by Steve Lieber. And what they've been doing um, in the back of their comics is something that I actually kind of stole a little bit from them. I thought of doing it, but I didn't do it. But in my more recent reviews, um, I've finally managed to be able to write while listening to music. Mm-hmm. It's something that I, I don't normally do. But for whatever reason, in the past like two months, I've been able to do it. Um, in the back of their comics, they list their what they were listening to while they were writing the comic, oh. what they were listening to while they were drawing mm-hmm. the comic. Um, and not, not only do they listen to some pretty cool stuff, stuff that I listen to... Um, I just think it's a really cool bonus or an Easter egg for, you know, I mean, I absolutely love music and these are all very creative people. I mean, obviously they're writers, they're artists, they've got, you know, creative blood flowing through their veins. Music is a very creative and personal medium. They all, everybody, all of them, they all listen to music. I would love to know who they're listening to. Who mm-hmm. does Kelly Sue DeConnick listen to? Who, mm-hmm. you know, Trina Robbins, who'd she used to mm-hmm. listen to? Like, I just think it's a really cool insight to the writers and the artists to include mm-hmm. something like that. So mm-hmm. that's something that if you were going to make a perfect comic, mm-hmm. that would be included in a, sound, a perfect comic. A soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, something in the back. Like, what were you, even if you weren't listening to it while you were writing, like, were you actually sitting there writing? But, like, over the couple of days that you were thinking things over or whatever, like this was inspired by or written to the music of. Right, yeah. Um, So that's a little something that I think is really cool. Um, As far as a single-issue comic goes, I don't like... uh, I'm getting a little tired of being thrown right into the middle of something and then flashing back. Um, It works sometimes. Other times it doesn't work. Um, especially if you're, you like, let's say you have AVX, you have a huge event where at the beginning of the book, they're starting you off instead of in the middle of what was going on in AVX currently, they hearken back to something that happened during the house of M mm-hmm. 
And all of a sudden, you've got to put yourself into that situation and then dig yourself out of it within like four or five pages Mm -hmm. to get back to where you were. Not to say that it can't be done and done well. I'm just getting a little tired of it. The way that I like to start a book, especially a first issue, is I want the first couple pages to set the mood. Kind of like while I was talking earlier about the creep number zero, like that first page of the close up of the kid's eyes as and what's going on in his mind as he's putting the gun underneath his chin, like that was a really, really powerful first page. And that's mm-hmm. a that's a first issue. It immediately, immediately set the tone. Like I knew that I was going to be reading something very gritty and something very uh, possibly sad or dour that like. My mood, I was like sitting in the chair and I'm like, oh, I'm going to read some comics. And I open that up and I'm like, oh, all right. <laughs> so uh got to put my sad face on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, go through this, really this ordeal with these people. And that moves into the other thing that I look for in a first issue. You have to, I have to be stirred and not stirring the pot, but mm-hmm. just, you know, <laughs> like your story has to, has to evoke something in me some kind of an emotional Mm -hmm. reaction um that's why i tend to like some of the more independent stuff it's why i love uh things like monocyte and morning glories and things like that even the runaways which i just read the entire Mm -hmm. thing and finished up where i really really connected with the characters and the even the situation um really quick the runaways their whole thing of finding out their parents were villains and everything. That's a premise that I hadn't read in a comic book before, and it was done. Brian K. Vaughn did such an amazing job with it. By the end of the first issue, I was hooked, mm-hmm. and I read the whole thing within like two weeks. Right. Yeah. Um, but as far as like a comic, you really just you gotta you gotta develop your characters in the first issue. I gotta know who I'm supposed to care about, mm-hmm. and um, you know you don't have to you don't have to be all in my face. You just you gotta have some intrigue. You know, leave me, leave me with a, instead of giving me like an amazing first page, give me a really, really great last page and give me something, some kind of revelation or some kind of a, like a bone to look forward to the next issue. Uh, revival number one Mm -hmm. is per, is the perfect example Mm -hmm. for me lately of a perfect comic, especially Mm -hmm. a perfect number one. Right. Yeah. Um, I know we keep on and some people say that, oh, you know, we're all banging it and whatever. <laughs> it's a great fucking comic. Yeah, Stephanie's is. told you several yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Right, Steph? Mm-hmm. Uh, hell. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me, I mean, Revival, number one, it had all of that stuff. It has the horror. It has the, the sci-fi stuff to it. It has, like, the, the haunting, mystical angle to it. It's got... So many you know, weird kids, weird things going on in the woods, strange people walking around town, that whole like small town vibe. Um, you want to, I'll shut up in a second, but you want to get like, you want your, your reader to get in close, you know, you mm-hmm. want to affect your reader. If, if I'm just reading something about some guy with guns and swords and he's just flying around wisecracking and being a pain in the ass that's not necessarily something maybe it's entertaining but it's certainly not it doesn't have me clamoring for more right you know mm-hmm. give me give me something that affects me that i can latch onto like some several of the books that i read this week mm-hmm. that days after or even the night that i went to bed the image of of in the creep the image of oxel walking around with his his disfigured facial features trying to imagine what his gruff voice sounds like after it's been changed by his disease 
things like that stay with me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah, I don't know. That's what makes a perfect, uh, at least a first issue for me. Yeah. Um, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. Um, You know, it... For me, uh, well, the kind of the kinds of stories that I love more than anything else are usually stories with big, dense mythologies that are complicated. Um, but that's like a, a type of story. I think for me, what it comes down to, and I talk about this a lot, and I'm just looking for moments that feel authentic, that feel real, mm-hmm. no matter what's going on. It, it doesn't mean the it, it doesn't. It could be anything. It could be you know green aliens fighting space elephants you know <laughs> but if there's something real in there if there's a real emotion uh a, a, you know a real situation a, a theme that is universal then that's what i really look for um this is this is a little bit of a tangent but and this is going to again this is like when i talked about smash like a couple months ago or whatever it's going to be this a similar sort of situation mm. i think um so i've been watching uh glee all right uh, i'm a i'm a musical theater <laughs> Person. I've watched it too, so I mean, I can say with. <laughs> I have not, except the Michael Jackson mm-hmm. episode. Yeah, there was Smooth Criminal. I think yeah. it was with the cello, the, the two cellos guys. That yeah. was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, that was awesome. That is pretty awesome. The, the, the show, the show is ridiculous. The show has a lot of inconsistencies, um, but I love. It has some really talented people in it, and I like watching it. But this isn't even about that. I mean, this is just about how you can find truth in anything or reality in anything. Uh, I did theater when I was in in high school and when I was in college, and. There's this little moment. It's not a big moment. I don't think they have any meaning to do it. But, you know, the, this past season, their high school is ending, right? So they have all those kind of episodes where it's wistful and we're holding mm-hmm. on to things and whatever. Um, there's an episode where they, they don't have to go to Gleek practice. It's not mandatory. But there are this, two of the characters are like, let's just go. How many more times are we going to be able to hang out, you know? They're like, well, nobody else is coming. And they're like, whatever, we'll just go. So they walk. Uh, there's two people singing on the stage in the auditorium. Two of the Gleek members are practicing a song. And they kind of, the two people walk in and they kind of discover the people on stage singing and they kind of join in and they watch and they're laughing. And it's just a moment that I've experienced before, you know? It's a moment that happens when I, when I was in the theater. You know, you, you, you're walking in the theater before rehearsal and having people on stage practicing a dance or practicing a song. And it just brought me back to those moments, you know, very, very vividly. You know, I, I felt like I was there. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff that I look for in books, you know, and it, it could be anything. It could be a, the silliest book in the entire world, you know. It, it doesn't have to be a serious truth, but there are some times where, you're, where if something's really funny, there's a reality in that, mm-hmm. you know. And, and uh, to evoke anything like that, I, I think, is what I really look for. in just moments. I don't need the whole book to be a, a, like a, you know, a nonstop litany sure. of just those things, but I, this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for those moments that, that stand out to me, that feel authentic, that feel like the writer... Is not just going through the motions that they're they're doing something you know intense and personal to them. No matter what it is, no matter if it's Batman, no matter if it's revival, no matter if it's you know um, Wild Children or Morning Glories or Superman or whatever you know, uh, and 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 that's what I really really look for. Uh, obviously, there's something I, I'm a, I, I went to school for writing, so I. I Technical-wise, I'm always looking for, you know, structure and callbacks and the way dialogue is, is written and, you know, just if it's supposed to be mannered, I want to see that mannered consistently, you know? But if they're going to be talking realistically, I want to see them talking realistically. You sound like Bob right now with the whole on-model thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's just, 
just stay true. The young and the bold. Like, and it can change issue to issue. You know, it can change issue mm-hmm. But in your issue, you're going to set up rules for yourself. Every story sets up rules for itself. And those rules can be breaking rules, but you've got to stay with that, at least in your dedicated story. And when books go off of those things in, issue to issue, in an issue, that degrades it to me in my mind. It can still be a great issue, but it's not a perfect issue anymore mm-hmm. if that happens. Um, so those are the biggest things. I mean, number ones are different too, like you were saying. Like, number ones have a different kind of expectation on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, Aquaman, which I recently got all of to read through, I read the first three issues and I stopped because I was just not enamored by it anymore. But issue one of that, of the New 52 Aquaman, I loved. Like, I was crazy about it. You know, mm-hmm. I thought it hit every single point the number one issue of a superhero comic should hit. And to me, that's a perfect first issue of a book. Mm. Is that means the perfect run of the book? No, but that issue to me is mm-hmm. is perfect. You I know, it, you were iffy about Justice League. Exactly. For the, the, uh, the other reasons. It's the other reasons. Yeah. yeah, Aquaman's exactly. been super fun. Which I have it all. I'm going to pour through it. Um, I like it. I'm excited to get into it. And But again, that's one of those things where it's just, uh, that, that really means something to me. Also to me, I'm willing to forgive things if the writer in, in, in play is trying to do really big things. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's why, you know, we talked about Grant Morrison a couple times. Grant Morrison doesn't always hit the notes that, that, I, that he should, or he, and he's, sometimes he's bad. But he's never phoning it in. You know, he's always trying to go above and beyond w- what he's done before. Um, and when he does that, even if I don't like it, I can appreciate it. It's kind of like watching a, like a French New Wave film, you know, where mm-hmm. I, don't always, I don't always like what I'm watching, but I appreciate what's going on. So those are some of the things that I, I really latch onto. Stephanie, what about you? Um, I think the biggest thing is relatability. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of those things where even where it's a superhero comic, um, there has to be little bits and pieces that I can be like, aha, you know. Um, I think, again, it's sort of what you've mentioned and Steve. Um, and I'm going through like the Stephanie Brown run of Batgirl for like the third time. Oh, your own book. And <laughs> it's just so great. And I just think that Stephanie Brown is such a real character. She has so much shit in her life. And, you know, she's so flawed. And that's what makes her so great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like characters like that. Um, coming from... I mean, I went to school for artsy things and um, I took a lot of art courses in my life. So art's a big part of my life. And um, I really got drawn back into comics because of art. And um, so that's another really big factor. Um, I'll admittedly sometimes put a book away if I find the art distractingly bad. Mm-hmm. I, I can't get into it. I like the, If the faces are weird... I can't get past it because I can't read the words. I'm too fixated on the art. Um, so the art's a really big thing for me. Um, I mentioned in my latest review for Revival that um, for me, the art and the words in the story are a marriage. Um, they both really need to go hand in hand. Uh, one can't be better than the other because it's not going to be a perfect comic if you don't have that balance. They need to um, come together to tell the story. You know, like the words need to tell what the pictures can't say and vice versa. Um, and that's a, that's something that I look for in a story. And again, revival is one of those examples of a perfect issue. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, 
Let's see. What <laughs> else? Um, interesting secondary characters, too. Um, not necessarily people that are the main focus of the story, and you're not going to see in every issue. But I like having um, little glimpses at, you know, minor people. Like, um, I think Molly in Runaways is a good example. Um, another person that's exactly like you. Or another character that's <laughs> like you. Oh, I need to take naps all the time. Well, no, no. Can I, I, just, I just want to interject because just for one second. Of all the stuff that I've read that you've suggested for our listeners, you wouldn't believe how much of Stephanie and Stephanie's personality you'll find within the characters that are in the books that she recommends. It is unfucking canny. And I love it. I think it's awesome. No, seriously. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you find no Molly Molly Hayes. There are <laughs> words that come out of your mouth on a daily basis that are taken right from like the the mood and vibe of that character. Same thing with Stephanie Brown. Like through and through. You might not be aware of it, but I am completely aware of it, and it's awesome. Oh well, I just got my friend um, Amy, who Steve will kind of know, into Batgirl. Like she um she got an iPad the other day, and. Uh, she was like, I think I want to start reading comics. You're always talking about comics, and I, I think I want to get into it. I'm like, you need to read Batgirl. <laughs> and so I got it for her and loaded it onto her iPad, and the next day um, she commutes to work. She has like a two-hour commute, and she's texting me at like 9 a.m., and she's like, holy fucking shit, Batgirl's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> and um, I'm actually having a lot of fun finding comics for her to read. Um, but anyways going back to sort of what makes a comic great to me, but um, I like, I, again, this is sort of, again, a relatability thing, but I like flawed characters. Um, I, I don't think anyone's perfect, even superheroes, and when I'm reading that, I want to see their vulnerable sides, too, which, again, is a bit cliche at this point, but um, it's still something that I think is important, because our heroes you know, need to be real. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. I, I don't know if there's a lot I look for for a comic to be perfect because um, to me that really varies and it depends on the writer and the artists and the team involved and it varies from comic to comic but there are perfect comics out there to me and um, I think right now with independent publishing being at such a, you know, climax this is a great time to find those perfect issues that's a, a very good point um bobby swing daddy look at you yeah there. sure well uh the whole idea of flawed characters when everything is perfect if your hero isn't struggling against his own internal demons her internal demons and the larger issues of so-and-so is taking over the world it is just that cliche it is oh big fight something blows up we have a big hug scene at the end and move mm -hmm. on. Having a character have to beat his own flaws to then take over the larger issue, very, very important to me. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's just, that's just basic storytelling 101. Mm -hmm. Your character has to have a conflict. Your character cannot be perfect because then what's the point in re reading right. a story about that character? It's the criticism against, you know, every bad or mediocre Superman story that's ever been written. It's how, yes. how do you... It's a very tough character to write because you have to find things th about that character that you can expose, that can be exposed, you know? And I feel like only the really great writers really know how to, how, how to do that. Um, um, Stephanie, go ahead. I think, I think a really great example of um, 
a series full of perfectly flawed characters is Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead. Um, a lot of the times, you know, these characters, they're emotionally flawed, but they're not aesthetically flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Robert Kirkman just beats the shit out of his characters <laughs> in The Walking Dead. I mean, there are characters missing limbs. There are characters that have, you know, like crazy um, deformities because of what's happened in the books. And people are just battered and bruised and fucked up. And um, it works. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just such a real interpretation to me of what would happen if there was a zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really important. And I think people lose sight of the fact that you need to keep it sort of realistic, too. I mean, <laughs> what are the chances that, you know, our superheroes aren't going to are going to have all their limbs? They have like <laughs> rockets like shot at them and. They get in all these crazy fights and nobody's even missing a finger. Mm-hmm. Like Robert Kirkman just really hits it home with them. That's a really good point. Never really thought of that. <laughs> like his characters are just so flawed and beautiful because of it. Well, one of my favorite characters, speaking of things like that, it's Oracle. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. you know, that Chuck Dixon initially, I guess, and then Gail Simone followed up with, okay, here's someone who was a superheroine who now still wants to do right, even in the state she's now in, and becomes one of the most important characters in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, like in the Batgirl run again, yes. she's monumental in Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl run. And um, we even get another handicapped um, sort of Oracle character with Proxy in that series. And mm-hmm. they're both fantastic, strong women who overcome a disability to become you know, even better people. Mm-hmm. And to go really crazy, someone... Uh, uh, a character people only know from a very bad movie who had a lot to speak to the human condition was Howard the Duck. <laughs> Steve Gerber, no, Steve Gerber in his time used the, it's the stranger in a strange land fish out of water, not to mm-hmm. make a very bad pun here, but to comment on what the world around him was from a you know, talking duck from another dimension just sounds ridiculous, but it was media criticism, comics themselves, all the tropes that we were used to getting turned on their head by a two-foot-tall, cigar-smoking, wise-cracking duck, <laughs> there are truths to be told, as you were saying before, mm-hmm. Bobby, in, in any form, any way, if the, the writer believes it, puts it out there as, here's my story, I'm telling it this way, come with me on this ride. Yeah. Well, there's, there's different, there's, there's what happens in a story, and there's what the story is about. Yeah. You know, there, there's, those are different things, and great writers, they write those two things, and when it's, fantastic writing they merge in a way that's almost seamless where you don't even realize that you're getting both this um, a bizarre or action-packed or scary story but you're also getting this real human story you know and we talk about characters that have weaknesses and flaws i mean one of my favorite characters in the entire world is daredevil you know yeah. and he's blind he's a blind superhero you know and you know talking about perfect books um Way back when we started this, one of the first books I kind of diverged off to from the DC stuff was Daredevil, and picked up Daredevil number seven, which has gotten a lot of fanfare in the last couple of months because it won the Eisner. Um, it's a one-off issue; it's a Christmas issue where Matt is taking a, a group of blind kids, you know, on a trip, yeah. and their bus gets in an accident, and he has to get them to safety. And to me, it's a perfect issue because it highlights the things about Matt Murdock and Daredevil's character 
highlights his weaknesses. He's stuck in a snowstorm, you know, in a blind out mm-hmm. snowstorm, you know, where even he isn't able to use his powers the way that he could use them in other places. And again, another thing about it is that, you know, Bob, you often talk about your dislike for the dark and grim aspects of comic book writing. And, you know, I do, I do agree with you that if it's bleakness without anything else, it's pointless. Um, but bleakness to me can be a very powerful tool if it's aligned with the, the hope that comes mm-hmm. after it, you know, and there's bleak stuff that happens in that daredevil number seven. There's a, you know, obviously there's a point where he can't go any farther, but there's, there's that beautiful sentiment of, you know, if you're a good enough person, when you fall down, there's somebody there to pick you up, you know, and I, I, those are, that issue to me speaks to all of those things, you know, so that has the one that has reality moments. It has emotion. It has humor, it's a it's a superhero story. Like to me, that is one of the perfect comics I've read since. Yeah, it was a great issue. Yeah. So, um, Steve, you have any other? Uh, what are some issues that you love or runs that you think are just pretty close to perfect? Animal Man. Animal, okay, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Animal Man. Um, I've been. I don't know if it's perfect, but I've I've said it in my last review. I've really been enjoying Supergirl mm-hmm. a lot. Um, it's one of the only DC 52 and you don't have to stick to the DC 52, but Mm. it's an easy go-to point. Um, it's one of the only books that I feel really started from the beginning. I mean, now we're going to be getting a zero issue and see the fate of Krypton and, Mm -hmm. you know, when she was, when Supergirl was, was shoved off the planet and whatnot. But, um, let me think what else? Animal Man, Supergirl. Um, I mean, I I think Batman has been pretty much. Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, like... You know, I was just saying Batman to fill time because I knew you wanted to think of some, some better ones. But I will say this, issue five, I think, is the crazy upside-down pages issue right. of Batman. That issue is just... Oh, amazing. well, that was, that was madness. Yeah. I think I was tweeting about that for, like, three days. <laughs> um, yeah, another, another run that I... I mean, I've only, I only started from 600, and I know that we've talked about it innumerable amounts of times <laughs> on the podcast, so I'll keep it short, but Fantastic Four is and ff the two of those books together i love the way that they they work in tandem with one another um but i mean talk about something about being like the fish out of water as a reader Mm -hmm. and being thrown into a pond filled with you know humongous like megalodon sized (laughs) sharks Mm -hmm. of having to comprehend and understand all of these ridiculously you know, huge cosmic events that are either going on or have gone on several years before my even, you know, getting into the series. And the thing that Bob and I were talking about earlier, um, the reason why I think it's such a wonderful run and it's such a wonderful book is because for me personally, I can't speak for everyone, but I can read like the latest issue of Fantastic Four, by the way, was amazing. There's so much going on in that issue references made to things that had happened that I have no clue what they're talking about. No idea. Now, normally, that would bother me. I would feel lost. I would feel left out. And I'd be like, you know, well, what is this? I've been reading this, you know, for the past 9, 11 issues or whatever. How come there's like, I feel like there's no continuity here, blah, blah, blah. That book is so 
well written and so just engrossing mm-hmm. that I do not care. Right. I will figure it out later, or I'll just ask Bob. So <laughs> I know not everybody has a Bob in you know in their pocket to to go and ask them about Fantastic Four stuff. But the fact well, that, that they do technically because they can email him, and I'm sure he would answer them. I but. certainly oh, would. Oh, thank you, thank Steph. you, Stephanie. Look Carry at on. that. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fine. Oh, um, sorry. I just wanted to add that in there. They no, do it's good. Technically, have a Bob. If you listen to this podcast, you do. We all we all <laughs> we have all a have Bob. Bob. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure Bob has plenty to say about it. But I just, it's become a series that you know get personal here it was you know it's very close to to bob's heart and mm-hmm. to his his upbringing and his youth and all of that and it's just that was like his universal gift to us and to everybody that Thank listens so to much. the podcast well it's I'm true getting, i'm getting kind of weepy and it's just it's it's so cool that i've for the longest time when we first started this i wanted a cosmic book mm-hmm. and i had when we first started uh, Stormwatch. Mm-hmm. I didn't like Stormwatch, Stormwatch at first, and then I started to enjoy it, and then it completely fell apart for me. Like after the arc that I enjoyed ended, and they were going to continue it, I picked up an issue, and I realized I don't care about anyone mm-hmm. in this book. Wow. It's just a bunch of blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And now that I have Fantastic Four, I care about everyone in that book. Mm-hmm. So as far as series goes, there's nothing you can't go wrong with Fantastic Four if you want big, complicated, touching, sentimental mm-hmm. hero books. I I'm going to mention something that ties into that sounds like a really lame segue. Everything you just talked about in one book. All right. What might be my favorite book ever, and it's a perfect comic. It's Fantastic Four Fifty One, which follows the Galactus trilogy. How do you follow that? At one point in that issue, the Silver Surfer is sort of guided by Alicia Masters that humanity isn't all terrible because she, as a blind person, can see him in a way that he can't mm-hmm. imagine. At the end of all this, you know, the, the next issue begins. You know, We've saved the Earth, obviously. We're all still here. Um, the thing is really upset. He's still the ugly, hideous thing. He saved the Earth, but he's lost the love of his life. The book opens with him walking through a rain-swept sea. The first panel is just splash panel of the thing standing in the rain in the trench coat with the hat and the hole. He's wandering down the street, and he's called into a room by somebody. It's a typical mad scientist. Juices him with some stuff. The fellow has a similar bone structure to the thing and actually exchanges atoms with him. The scientist turns himself into the thing because he figures the thing has it easy. He hangs out with the Fantastic Four. He's a hero, so and so forth. Leaves Ben Grimm alone in this apartment, goes to, he's going to kill Reed Richards, basically, to take over everything they've done, because I want what they have. Hmm. He discovers, while there, I'm not going to spoil this issue for people who should read it, you know, that it isn't quite what he thought. Right. And things are much different, and for all that he thinks, it all changes. I'm not, I don't want to spoil this, but this is... Beautiful, emotional, deep. It's the way you, you, you follow up a giant cosmic event with a singular personal story about what it means to be the thing hmm. and part of a family. Hmm. FF51. <laughs> Aw, talking comics, now with emotion. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting you say something like that because I think a lot of times, you know, we obviously bring a lot of ourselves to everything that you read and I, I think that 
we all kind of we find a character or a story and we kind of just push ourselves into it. You know, we like let ourselves in the really great yes. stories, you kind of flow into it and you almost become part of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's the stuff that really hits you the hardest. You know, when you read a story that's like when we talked about that Avenging Spider-Man uh, a couple months ago, the one with Cap and, and oh, Spider-Man. That was a great yeah. And you know, I felt like I was part of that story. I felt like I knew you know, who Peter Parker was in that moment, you know, and there's been books, I obviously love Spider-Man and there's, I, I, he's one of the characters I identify with, but in that book especially, it could have been anybody. It could have been, you know, Joe Smith and random mm-hmm. other guy and it could have been two guys talking about these two things, you know, and I would have felt the same way because it's just a story I could pour myself into and I love that. I mean, that's, that's why I, why we spend time or I spend time talking about this stuff and that's why we spent hours writing about it and reading them. It's because you you get a joy from them, and whether that and when I say joy, it's not always happiness. Sometimes you're sad, you know, when you're reading stuff. But uh, it's that joy of discovery, and it, it's this feeling that I get like I, somebody created this. This didn't happen. Somebody out of thin air created the story, put it on a page, and it made me feel this way, you know, and. Mm. I don't, I don't have to feel ashamed that I feel this way. I don't have to worry about how someone else is going to feel about the way I feel about this thing. I get to feel about this thing the way I want to, and that's my relationship with it. And, and to be able to get that feeling, whether it's this or a movie or a video game or, or a TV show, whatever it is, the fact that there's something out there that can make you feel that way, I, I think is astounding, you know? Um, I just wanted to make a point. I was trying to like rush through my books a little bit earlier, but um, Jeff Lemire's Lost, uh, Lost Dogs... Mm-hmm. Like I was saying, even for Jeff Lemire, it's a very crude artwork, very long, thick black lines. Mm-hmm. Um, the faces are, are muddy and everything. But when you think about the subject matter, I mean, I was sitting in a, in a doctor's office reading this, that it was as if no one else in that office was there. And it was just me and this character. And he, in the forward, he complains about the art, saying how sloppy it is, mm-hmm. how amateur it is. But... If you're really willing to go the extra mile and you're not just looking at comics, I don't think that any of us, even our listeners, I, mm. I mean, I would assume that you're reading comics because you want to emotionally involve yourself mm. in these stories mm. for the escapism. Why else would you, you know? Right, yeah. But the fact that the art was so crude or amateurish, it just, it reflected the pain of the main character. It was so grungy and, and down and out that it was a beautiful, beautiful marriage for the the type of mood that the book had. That if you can sit there and you can read a story like that and and connect with it. All right, whoa, sorry, we had a little technical blip there right in the middle of Steve's very eloquent talk I'm out on the veranda, on the balcony. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's just, it's the whole, the whole, you know, art equals mood thing. Mm-hmm. That if you're reading these books to invest yourself and things like that, like even if, like he said, he was unintentional. He's he's saying that it was amateur of himself, and he doesn't really like it anymore. He said it gets it, it gets him nostalgic, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really care for it. Right. I feel that as a reflection of it being more of his earlier work. And I right, we had a nice second technical blip in like two minutes there. Steve, they don't want you to finish your, your talk. I don't want to finish my just talk. don't want to finish your talk. <laughs> the steam, the steam is, has left me. So, I mean, you're talking about the way that the art style reflects the mood of the book and yeah. how it doesn't even matter that it's rough or... No. Gro- it's just... I mean, that's what Jeff Lemire is all about, too. 
it it connects you to the characters. It connects you to the story, and it's just. I mean, this is this is why we read comics. Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's an aptness. It's what goes with the story. Mm-hmm. We, we all read Fatale. Yeah. That's, you know, it's sort of a Wallywood 50s thing, which looks very primitive mm-hmm. compared to the super slick stuff of today, but it fits the story, fits the mood they're going for, fits the period they're telling the story within. So sometimes having giant painterly pages would, you know, would actually undermine the story itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to say this too. I just came to me. Uh, the uh, DC event, the Identity Crisis event that happened. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's a, it's a murder mystery story, and I'm not going to give anything away. Uh, but there's one moment in this in this big story. Uh, you know, Tim Drake is the Robin in this story, and uh, people are getting murdered. People people who are important to characters in this world are getting murdered, and you don't know who it is. Um, but there's always a kind of warning sign. There's kind of like the calling card left before something happens. Um, Don't go near the refrigerator. Yeah, yeah. And Tim, as Robin and Bruce, are out in the Batmobile, and they know what's going to happen. Somebody's coming to try to kill his father. Um, and I'm not going to say whether it succeeds or not, but there's a moment where they're in the Batmobile, and Tim looks at Bruce, and he goes, Bruce please. And he has this look on his face and Bruce looks at him and you can see in that one panel Bruce thinking about his entire life and about the moment where he lost his parents, you know? And it's it, to me, that moment, the book is not perfect, but that moment is perfect. That moment plays not only on a vast history uh, uh, of continuity and established themes and archetypes, but plays on a very real feeling where this this character, you know, Batman saves people. That's what Batman does, you know, and Batman protects, tries to protect the people that he's close to. And this boy is asking him to not let happen to him what happened to Bruce when he was, when he was a, a boy. And that moment to me is just, is just, is perfect, you know? Um, there's a moment in, again, another, another event book in Infinite Crisis where, you know, it's Earth 2 Superman, and he's dealing with the fact that he doesn't know if he can save Lois or not. And he says, you know, Superman always saves Lois Lane. And it's yeah. this beautifully sad thing. And it plays on maybe something cheesy that, that used to happen all the time. And, but it, it plays on a, a thing where it's not just people who are saying this. He thinks it himself. And right. the fact that it internalizes that moment, to me, is just wonderful. You know, it's and, everyone's expectations, his included, exactly. that he would get to do the right thing. Exactly. And I just love those little moments. Like, those are perfect moments. They're not perfect books, but those are perfect little moments to me. Um, so, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, at the end of Spidey 121, <laughs> which they don't put the title on the issue, and it's the last page, it's Spider-Man on top of the Brooklyn Bridge mm. with the dead Gwen Stacy and mm. the Green Goblin flying around. Yeah. And the reason we couldn't tell you the title of this story is this title is "The Day Gwen Stacy Died." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you you know the way they laid the book out, you didn't see that until you turned the page to that. Ah, mm-hmm. yeah, Ugh. there you go, uh, Stephanie. You've been quiet for a little bit. Do you have anything else you wanted to say? Um, I was just going to pipe in on some of my favorite issues. But Absolutely, yes. you talked about. Aquaman earlier and um, as far as the DC 52 goes um, I think it's one of the strongest um, I guess reboots Mm -hmm. I never read Aquaman I never had any desire to read Aquaman and um, 
I decided to read it on a chance that I might enjoy it because I'd heard good things about it. And I fl- like I just recently started reading it. I flew through all of the issues that are out so far. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, that series has such a strong number one. And um, again, same with like Animal Man. And Animal um, Man. there's um, I realize that a lot of the series is that I am going to mention as my favorite series is I'll start with A R M. But um, I'll just list off a couple more. But like American Vampire. Fantastic. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 678. Mm. So great. That's the... um, the, I I Kill Tomorrow. I Kill Tomorrow. Yeah. Um, Runaways, such a strong number one. Again, Revival. Yes. Um, Morning Glories. Morning Glories has a fantastic number one. Yes. Um, uh, Kelly Sudaconic's Captain Marvel. Mm, Just going to say that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely fantastic. And um, a great introduction introduction to uh, Dexter Soy's art, who is going to just be a superstar as far as uh, comic book artists go. Mm-hmm. And um, one that I read recently, uh, Mind the Gap. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm going to throw those out there as some of my newest, favoritest series number ones and various issues. Nice. That's good. It's a good mix, too. Indie, mainstream stuff. That's good. That's a really good mm-hmm. mix. Anything else they want to talk about this topic before we uh, do some listener Nope. Nah, questions. Nah, I think we covered this good? pretty pretty darn well. All right, so we're going to talk a little some listener feedback. Um, so uh, this is from um, Scott McDougal, and he wanted to just tell us. You know, we talked about books we take on a desert island with us. Um, he said he wanted to toss up Daredevil one fifty eight through one ninety one, um, Animal Man nineteen ninety one through twenty five, which I believe is the Grant Morrison stuff, and uh, Peter David's run on the Hulk. Is are his desert island books? Wow, yeah, he's gonna have to grab a lot of boxes. There's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the a question from uh, Keenan P. P. Keenan here, but you know we uh, we kind of cover this. He wanted to know what our feelings were on The Walking Dead, and Stephanie actually covered that only only a few minutes ago. Um, but love, see, love the comic, can't stand the show. <laughs> that's right. just that's just me. Um, and he asked also, did any, has anyone gotten a chance to uh, read American Virgin by Stephen T. Siegel and Becky Cloonan does the art for that book? Um, I don't think any of us oh. have read that. Nope. No. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, oh, this is, actually, you can talk about this. Uh, he wants to know our thoughts on Peter David's run on Supergirl. So I think you're the only one who's actually read I'm that. I'm a stuff. big fan. Oh, I've started that. Yes, that's right. So go ahead, Steph. I'll follow you. Oh, no, no, I just, I've basically started it. I really enjoy it so far. I picked it up because of Bob's recommendation, so I will pass it back okay. to you. Um, <laughs> well, where you're, it, it's not the Supergirl from Krypton. It's a mm-hmm. construct from a, uh, a, a matrix of, of cells, and her name is May, in mm-hmm. essence, who ends up bonding with a human, I don't want to give too much of this away. People should read this. But you get a Supergirl learning about who she is, but she isn't that Supergirl. Tries to do the right thing constantly, is flawed, grows, learning. Peter writes very, very, very human characters. His females particularly are always layered and interesting. And it's a really, really fun book. She's a great character. And we will get to well, we, our lists one of these days. Mm-hmm. The Peter David Supergirl is on my list of one of my favorite characters ever. Uh, have you read any of it? No, right? No. Okay. Uh, he just wanted to say that he really enjoyed the run. Sorry. And was disappointed when they canceled it, even though 
he said I, he, kn- he knows that people found the story confusing and very unconventional for a superhero, but he enjoyed it because it was different and creative. Yeah. No, so, he fought, my understanding, he fought with DC over, he wanted to bring back Kara at some point, okay. have them together, mm-hmm. and they gave him a whole bunch of grief, so there's a character a little bit like her, and then eventually, you know, his book got canceled and they brought back Kara. Right, yeah. Which yes. cheesed him off no end. It was like, <laughs> oh, I couldn't, but somebody else can. Now, uh, we mentioned when he was here, his book Fallen Angel, mm-hmm. which picked up almost immediately after, and while it was at DC, the heavy rumor was that that was May. That was Linda now doing this next book. It turns out it wasn't once he moved it somewhere else he changed it. But you could read them through as if it is, and it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Steve, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I think it was, um, if I messed this up, pardon me, but I think it was Rick Holwater. One of our um, one of our, our Twitter people a couple of weeks ago had asked, I think this might be a question for Stephanie and I, um, what some of our favorite anime is. I know we don't really talk about it much on the show, but I was going to rattle off. It's probably few. Super Bad Larry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Steph, do you have any favorites? Um, I assume we're talking about like TV show anime as opposed to Yeah, just to a few, just like like three or, three or four. Um, as far as like that goes, um, I mean, I have both read manga in the past and watched anime. I mean, I love um, Cowboy Bebop. I love Escaflone. I mm. love uh, Samurai Champloo. Um, I even love the shit out of Sailor Moon because you know, <laughs> I grew up with that. Nice. Um. As far as like uh, manga goes, I used to read things like uh, Showbits and um, oh, oh, what's the Ray Earth? Ray Earth? Ray Earth, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of, I still own a lot of it. I used to re- read a series called Mars and um, a ton of stuff. I was really, really into that world for a long time. My best friend, um, was very artsy and she drew a lot of anime stuff and Ooh. kind of encouraged me to get into it. And, uh, I, I really love, I don't pay it enough attention these days, but, um, every now and again, I get really into a series and yeah, I'll pick it up. But, um, there's a few really good ones out there right now. And, um, last Exile's fantastic. Um, and obviously like all of Miyazaki stuff, yeah. I mean, as far as movies go are just beyond brilliant. And for anyone who doesn't necessarily like anime, right. Um, I'll rattle off uh, some really quick. Uh, my absolute favorite of all time is Neon Genesis Evangelion. Uh, I've absolutely been loving the reboots of the films, the reimaginings. They're absolutely incredible, maybe even better than the series, but the series is my favorite. Uh, Boogie Pop Phantom is a close second. Uh, Serial Experiments Lane. Uh, Abinabashi Magical Shopping Arcade is incredible. And all of the Miyazaki films are fantastic. And uh, just to cap it off, if you haven't seen this movie, find Summer Wars. Summer Wars is absolutely one of probably the best animated movie I've seen in the last 10 years. It's incredible. I love it. Let me ask you guys a question, both of you. Um, I've never really watched anime ever. And it's not because I was never, I was anything against it. I just never got into that world at all. Mm -hmm. For someone who doesn't watch anime or hasn't watched it, what would you say is a good series to to check out? A good series? Um, Yeah. I personally think Cowboy Bebop's great. Um, it's a pretty straightforward series about like um, a space bounty hunter. It's kind of like, mm. I don't know, Firefly meets, uh, I don't know. I like the first thing you said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, very, um, it's, it's very snappy. Okay. 
Um, I think anime, I don't mean to interrupt you, stuff, but I think anime is very, 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 very much based on who you're trying to introduce it to. Right. Like, you can't just introduce somebody to anything. It has to be tailored to their... Like, if I was going to show Bob something, I would probably show him Boogie Pop Phantom, because it's got a very old school, like a horror version of the Twilight Zone kind of okay. thing going on with it. Cool. Very cool. I, see, I do remember... I'm, I'm pull, I watched Astro Boy and Tobor the Eighth Man and those the first real first generation of, of these things. Mm-hmm. You know, Speed Racer was on television when I was right, eight, yeah, eight nine years old. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but it, it's gone to somewhere different. Those were very simple, just for kids. Mm-hmm. And now yeah. we're into sci fi horror, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, well, Steph, you were like saying? Akira too. Oh, Akira's awesome. Akira's so good. Um. And Blood the Last Vampire, the movie, not the show. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, so uh, Alexander, who actually writes for our site, he poses a little question. He wants to know, um, well, I guess they announced that the Saga trade paperback is going to be 10 bucks, only nine ninety nine. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to know our thoughts on that. I guess we'd all think that was pretty awesome. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Image is pretty good with that stuff. They're pretty good at low-priced trades when they're coming out. And very good with them coming out nearly immediately after whatever arc that they're they're covering is finished. Just make sure that the binding in your books is good, because I got a couple books from you guys that are falling apart, <laughs> and I only well, read them once. And when does this? Uh, when does Saga come out? Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, today. I don't have the, the trade it, comes no, out today. No, no, the not trade. the trade. The new, oh, the new issue. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is when it the trade October? Comes. I feel like it might be October. And if that's the case. We might have it in time to get it autographed by Brian K. Vaughn at New York City Comic Con. He's going to be a Comic Con. What? Yeah. Um, he's going to be there, yo. <laughs> uh, he also wanted to ask us about the uh, the Joker solicitation mishap. So, oh, yeah. um, DC and their solicitations, you know, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo have been this whole big thing of they're going to real reveal the Joker. You're not going to believe what he looks like, blah, blah, whatever. DC went ahead and released the cover with the Joker on yeah, it. But oh. Batgirl 14, I think. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. What he looks like. Oh, really? Yeah, and Greg Capullo was pissed. You know, he, uh, he was pissed about it. I didn't it. see this. Um, yeah. I didn't even look at it. I just saw him talking about it. I don't want to look at it because I don't want to know. I'd rather see well, it when uh, it so comes out. So I won't out. say what it looks like. Yeah. But they've also, I guess, gotten a memo from up top. Oh, yeah. And now they're both saying, well, maybe it's not the worst thing. Yeah, yeah. Because our version is going to be worse because of the way the story gets told mm-hmm. and maybe they need to be bled into it slightly. Right. Uh, that's just a major screw-up. It'd be pretty easy to just make sure, you know, image obscured. Yeah. A little blob. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's- absolutely. Um, so before we move on to another question, Stephanie, um, you're famous for your pronunciation of names. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, Repstones on Twitter, he sent us a picture of an Olympic athlete who has a very simple name, a name yeah. that you should be able to pronounce without any trouble. If you guys want to see the name, I'd say just go to the blog post because we'll put the picture up on the mm-hmm. blog post. But uh, um, Stephanie, you want to give this name a try? <laughs> yeah. Um, for any of you who watch the Olympics and the weightlifting stuff, he was one of the <laughs> athletes that um, you know, competed in that. And I'm, I'm going to fuck this up. <laughs> it's, his last name is like, 50 letters long. <laughs> yep. Anyways, his name is Saeed Mohammedpur Kakara. <laughs> That's probably closer <laughs> than I ever could have hoped. Yes, very um, nicely done. So everybody knows who's listening, because you don't check the site. Um, 
His last name is M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D-P-O-U-R-K-A-R-K-A-R-A-G-H. So say that three times fast. And underneath his name, it does say clean and jerk, 219 kilograms. So <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. Uh, so actually Stephanie, that arc, that's not part of his last name. That was how big is he? Big uh, fella, right? Big, big dude. Yeah. yeah, that was his mom said when he, she, he <laughs> gave birth to him. Sorry. Good one. Thank you. I actually know somebody who gave birth to like a 10 pound baby and that's like. That's pretty heavy. Oh. All right, um, Glentastic on Twitter. That's that's great. Wants I, love, to know, I love that name. As someone who hasn't started the new Fifty Two, if I were to read any, would it be better to read them in week order or by series? Um, also, which series would you recommend, and which series should I avoid? Well, so get, he just won Batman Detective Comics Volume One, so which is okay. <laughs> I mean, well, it's not a great series, but at least he won. You know, that's collected in somewhere to start. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. So he's got that. Um, you know, it all depends on how you like reading the books. The problem with DC and trades, if that's what you're talking about, collected volumes, is that they are horrible about when they put out, you know, trades. I mean, it's not like Marvel, you know, where they're pretty good about things are collected almost immediately. And we talked about an image earlier about that. So waiting is a tough thing to do. So um, going back and issues is also kind of expensive. I mean, if you're doing it digitally, that's pretty, DC's pretty good about that because anything older than a month is only $2. So you you know there's only twelve issues out of every book. You can get all the books for twenty four dollars, maybe twenty five dollars, because the last one will be three, um, depending on what series you're doing. But I mean, sorry, books that you should be reading. I mean, Steve, you already mentioned Supergirl. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, Animal Man. Animal Man. Swamp Thing. Uh, Batman, obviously. Bob, you want World's Finest. World's Finest, absolutely. Batwoman. Love that book. Batwoman, yeah. Yeah, Batwoman, the especially the first arc, and and I got I, I worked my way into the second arc, but that first arc is creepy. <laughs> I love it. Uh, she makes a nice appearance in Batgirl. She does. Yeah, Batgirl's yeah. another one. Batgirl's very yeah. good. Have, very good. Did you see the last cover? Did you see the bottom of her shoes? I've never seen the bottom of her shoes. The in the the sole of the shoes, the bottom, like mm. the um, what do you call it? Tread. The tread. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. It's a bat. And then the bottom part where your heel would be is like a thick W. Oh, so wow. it's Batwoman yeah. really on the cool. bottom of her boots. So every time that she stamps in a villain's face, yeah. it leaves a Batwoman symbol on his face. It's awesome. <laughs> that's really that's really cool. Um, Stephanie mentioned Aquaman before. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, I find it fascinating we're not mentioning you know Justice League Superman yeah, action mean, what would be which historically. are all terrible uh, <laughs> to me action started out really really well it just lost its way he he just Morrison started going everywhere he started just being too disparate with the stories he was telling jumping too far around I feel like the first three or four issues of action were fantastic uh, but where it is now I would not recommend. Uh, picking it up. Um, I started reading All-Star Western. It's not great, but it's kind of fun in the sense that it has different characters that I haven't really read a lot of Mm. and in a different time era than the rest of the DC 52. Yeah, absolutely. That's Mm. a good one. Um, Actually, the first arc of DC Universe Presents, which is Dead Man, is Mm. a really, really well-written book. Um, Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is really good. Resurrection Man. Resurrection. Mm. (laughs) Nah. (laughs) <laughs> not, for, not for me. No, but Batman and Robin, with the exception of the last issue, yeah, last has, has been... Well, the last two issues have been kind of... Mm. Yeah. yeah. But uh, 
It's uh, I can keep hearing that sound. Yeah, um, that's a solid one to pick up, especially if you're going to be reading Scott Snyder's Batman, because it's yeah. the only other one that feels like it's a part of that universe. Mm-hmm. So if you like Scott Snyder's, you might really like uh, Batman or Robin, and give Damien a chance. The first couple issues, he's a little intolerable. He <laughs> will grow on you. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, you mentioned Resurrection Man. I mean, Steve obviously read a bunch of it and kind of fell off of it. But why do you uh, why do you recommend it? I'm sorry. Wait, what, 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 what? Resurrection Man. Oh my god, I didn't hear the beginning part. It cut out for a second. It's I okay. thought you were just talking to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I only read the first couple of issues, but I just thought it was a really interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't gotten into it, so I guess Steve thinks it's not worth pursuing past a certain point. But um, I just had fun with the first couple of issues. It just it it meandered. It it was one of those books where they were they were doing things, and then it was the what killed it for me was the um, the suicide. Um, what is it? Uh, suicide Squad? Suicide Squad. Ugh. They had a they had a crossover. Okay, and, oh, that would kill it for me. Too. Right. <laughs> they had a they had a crossover where it was like you know we got to harness the power of the Resurrection Man. Mm. And Resurrection Man was really cool for a while because it had angels, it had demons, it had a guy that was constantly getting new powers. So you can, you know, kind of like Dial H, where you can, you got to, you know, level the playing field, shift things around a little bit. A really great setup, but it just, after a while, it just didn't deliver for me. Lots, solid couple of first issues, and then once they did that crossover, it kind of lost sight of where it was going, and it derailed. Right, and it just hasn't made it back from there. Um, if you want to check out something with like monsters and stuff like that, something that's been really awesome with two solid writers is Frankenstein, Agent of Shade. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked about it in a long time. Uh, between Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent, who is the guy that is doing uh, mind management, mm-hmm. is now writing it. It's been awesome. Mm-hmm. If you want like, huge action with iconic horror characters, Wolfman and Mummy and Frankenstein, yeah. you, if you like that kind of thing, you can't go wrong with that. It's been a lot of fun. And you've been if, liking iVampire too, right? iVampire's been great. Well, um, what if we could recommend three? Can we decide on three to recommend to Glentastic? For- so three as a show or three each? Three as a show. Okay. Um well, uh, besides ba- saying Batman, I think Batman. we'd all agree on Batman. The yeah, of the owls. Yeah, uh, I would say Animal Man, Swamp Thing, in tandem with one another. You need to read both. Yeah, I, I would say yes. I mean, to be to cheat a little bit, they'd have to be kind of I think together because they're very much part of the same universe. Um, so definitely Batman, Animal Man, slash Swamp Thing, and what what third would we go for? Um, hmm. I mean, how, how strong do you guys feel about I mean, Supergirl? Oh, I definitely. I'd say Supergirl. I, I could get, I'd tell you World's Finest, but I think Supergirl's a better general audience pick. I would say Supergirl. And you would go with Aquaman, though, right, Stephanie? Yeah, but I haven't read Supergirl, so... Okay, so... To be fair, that could be right. Super. Well, let's round it up to five, then. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so those are, those are your books. You can definitely check those out. Um, and you spoke... You were speaking before about uh, Batman and Robin being kind of connected with the Scott Snyder Batman and how yes. it's really only one. Um, we got an email from Daryl, and... He said uh, he started reading the 52, and he started with Snyder's Batman, and he's loving it. Then I went to the Dark Knight, thinking it was going to be a darker, more violent Batman stories. After reading them, it didn't nope. seem that way. It just seems like different stories, not as good as Snyder's Batman. With all the Bat titles, can you give me some insight on each of them? I was going to buy. I was going by the name of the title, thinking that that would be the stories like Detective. They'd be more detective-based stories. If they're just different stories of Batman, how do they coincide with each other? And what are some must-read Batman arcs? Looking forward to your insight. Thanks. Daryl. 
Um, good, Steve. Um, I would tell you, well, as far I was, I think I'm the only one that's been reading Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, Dark Knight started off fairly well, and then it really, really fell apart. Um, it was not enjoyable. Characters did not, to use Bob's thing, did not seem on model. And things that they were trying to cover just weren't covering very well. There were elements of the book, uh, things that weren't getting answered. It got annoying after a while. Right. Um, however... Uh, new writer, I think it's Greg Hurwitz. Greg Hurwitz, yeah, is now on the book, and he's doing a Scarecrow arc. I personally have been loving the shit out of cool. it. Uh, Scarecrow is my favorite villain of the Bat Universe, and he knows how to write him. He's very this is like Dark Knight. You want it to be dark. This is like Scarecrow as a sick serial killer style Scarecrow. Not always what I want from him, but I've been in the mood for it lately, and it hits really hard. So if you want to get into that, you could even start from the new writer and just skip the other stuff. Okay. So that would be my my consensus of The Dark Knight. Um, As far as all the Batman titles, I mean, I've at least read a few of all of them. I haven't been reading a bunch. I mean, I read uh, Batman and Batman and Robin every month. I read three issues of Detective, and it just was not very good. The, the only thing about Detective is that it's changing writers. Uh, the, the, the guy who writes Chew is taking over yeah. uh, soon, so you might want to look in, back into it at that point. Yeah. Um, that book is just not very good. Uh, I didn't gel with the Dark Knight stuff at all. Um, and so I would say, I mean, look, the Snyder's Batman book is the, the continuity Batman pretty much like that's the batman you're gonna be looking for i i think for all uh in terms of purposes as kind of what happens to him is gonna be canon law from now on going forward well, at least for the next two years yeah well yeah but i yeah. mean like yes but when the guy takes over in two years he's gonna be looking prime back at what more what snyder did and not what the other books right we're doing um yes uh peter tomasi's batman and robin feels more like it's in the snyder universe uh so that book is very good. Uh, those other two books, I, I mean, you're saying Dark Knight is getting better. So maybe if you're looking for that kind of story, check that out. Yeah, I'm saying like the, the past two issues uh, starts with, uh, I think, number 10. Mm-hmm. Batman's got, you know, the the classic Scarecrow, uh, his mouth is so yeah. shut. Yes. Um, that's where I would start if you want to. And be aware, though, it's jarring and it's nasty and it's bloody and it's mean and it's really gritty. It's like watching Batman in the movie seven. Like it's just, okay. it's sick. Mm-hmm. But if you're in the mood for that kind of thing, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you mentioned a couple of great Batman arcs to check out. Uh, Bob, do you want to throw any out there? Well, you can go, you want to go further back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, certainly, yeah. you know, Steve Englehart, Marshall Rogers. Way back, 60s, 70s. Neil Adams, nobody drew a scarier Batman than Neil Adams ever did. His cape was 47 feet long. <laughs> and so as he's hanging over a rooftop, and it's just blowing behind him. Yeah. Uh, though, at this point, it's great because they are all collected, those essentials, yes. uh, very cheaply, black and white. And, and mm-hmm. the art in those kind of books, it doesn't suffer from the lack of color. So Right, absolutely. Give one, give one of those shots. Um, shot like I've, I've been talking about I've been reading some of the Morrison stuff. Uh, Batman R.I.P. is insane, but it is really good. Uh, it is really, really good. Actually, speaking of that, with what's going to start to happen, people should read Death in the Family. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, people know Bob's referencing. The Joker arc that's coming up is called Death of the Family. Yeah. So, yes, you check, definitely check that out. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a really good one, Bob. Um, Stephanie, do you have anything you want to add to this? Um, 
I mean, the only one I'm really reading is the regular Batman stuff. So right. I, I, I think that's the only thing I can really recommend. <laughs> Uh, and that's kind of it for our, our listener um, questions for this week. If we didn't get to you, uh, we will get to you in the future. Um, if you want to resend your question, you can always do that if we didn't mm-hmm. get to you. Obviously, at Talking Comics, uh, TalkingComicBooks.com is a website, comments, um, Facebook.com backslash Talking Comics, you know, um, info at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address for comments and questions and all that stuff. I do ask you guys, if you're going to write an email, um, try to keep it concise enough so I can read it out in the podcast without having to sift through the email to find the question. If you guys want to write a long email, absolutely, because I always read all of them, but try to separate your question out from kind of the the body of text. Uh, It just makes it easier for me to read your question uh, on the air. Um, So we're going to get into this week's releases. Uh, From Boom Studios, we have Extermination number three. We have Peanuts volume two, number one. Uh, and we have Roger Langridge Snarked, number 11. You made that up. No, I didn't. No, know. Snark. We've seen Snark. And I thought you said Stark, and I was like, going to be like, Stark, Stark. Can I just tell you, there's, <laughs> I think tomorrow there's an awesome t-shirt of Lucy from the Peanuts oh, yeah? sitting on a cloud in the sky with a diamond in her hand. Oh, wow. That's, all, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really cool. Um, from Dark Horse, we have Alabaster Wolves, number five of five. Yes, yes. The last one. That's the last one. We have that's like they're on the, oh we have Michael Evan OM's The Victories number one of five which I will be re- reviewing for the oh, site. Oh. Um, Robert E Howard's Savage Sword number five as well. Sword from DC we have Batwoman number twelve. Yes yes. Uh, that cover is sick. I looked yes. at the cover of the day online. Yes it, it is. is. That'll be uh, this week's favorite comic <laughs> covers. Uh, spoilers. Yeah spoilers. Uh, before Watchmen Rorschach number one. My last hope for being incredibly excited about Before Watchmen. Uh, Birds of Prey, number 12. Blue Beetle, number 12. Cat- Captain Adam, number 12. Catwoman, <laughs> number 12. Boo. DC Universe Presents, number 12, which is starting a new arc. It's Kid Flash arc Ooh. on DC Universe Presents. Yeah, exactly. It was exactly yeah. my reaction when I heard about it. So I'm excited about that one. Green Lantern, number 12. Um, Rob, who obviously tore comics. Um, was on the show last week. He's been telling me that the last couple of issues have been really great. So if you're a Green Lantern fan, you might want to you might want to check that out. Uh, so uh, Hellblazer number two ninety four, um, Legion of Superheroes number twelve, Nightwing number twelve, Red Hood and the Outlaws number twelve, Saucer Country number six, Yay. Shade number eleven of twelve, Supergirl number twelve, Yay. Wonder Woman number twelve. <laughs> we got disagreeing uh, yes. odd sounds coming from both I enjoy. I enjoy it to a point. It's not, it's not what I want it to be, but I'm still liking it. From Dynamite, we have Garth Innes' Jennifer Blood number 15 because it's not a Dynamite Entertainment release week if Jennifer Blood is not there. <laughs> um, Pathfinder number one, and it's actually Pathfinder. It's not Pathfinder number one. <laughs> That's a, it's amazing. Yeah. Kanta, Thunder. <laughs> uh, Voltron number seven. Um, Witchblade Demon Reborn, number one, and Zoro Rides Again, number 11 of 12. Um, from IDW, we have Battle Beasts, number two of four, Classic Popeye, number one, Crow, number two, Boo. Dead World <laughs> War of the Dead, number three, Boo. Uh, G.I. Uh, Joe, sorry, number 16, really <laughs> Jericho Season 4, number one, um, and Star Trek, 100-page Spectacular mm-hmm. Summer 2012. Oh. From Image, we have 68 Scars, number two of four. We have Butcher Baker, the Righteous Maker, 
number eight. No, that doesn't sound real. Um, we have Elephant Men, number 42. Fatal, number seven. We mm-hmm. have uh, Pigs, number eight. We have Revival, number two. Yeah. Saga, number six. Yeah. Supreme, number 66. And Walking Dead, number 101. Yes. Um, from Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man, number 691. Sweet. Avengers, number 29. Blech. Avengers Academy, number 35. Eee. Avengers versus X-Men, number 10 of 12. <sighs> um, it can't come soon enough. <laughs> We have Captain Marvel number two. Yes. Daredevil number Buy 17. Buy extra copies of Captain Yay. Marvel, everybody. Daredevil number 17. Dark Avengers number 179. Thunderbolts. It's Thunderbolts. I don't care what Stark they Avengers. Say. I don't care. Uh, Dark Ooh. Tower, The Gunslinger, The Man in Black number three of five. Deadpool number 59. Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe number three of four. <laughs> Bob's face. Uh, Hulk number 56. <laughs> Hulk season one, hardcover. Ooh. Um, New Mutants number 47. Sensational Spider-Man number 33.2. Uncanny X-Force number 29. X-Factor number 242. Big changes apparently in this issue. And X-Men number 34. Um, From Xenoscope we have Grim Fairy Tales presents Call of Wonderland number 3. Hooray! So that is it. That was on the shelves this week. Um, And that is it for the Talking Comics podcast um i said all the information before at talking comics info at talkingcomicbooks.com go to the site talkingcomicbooks.com um uh david short actually just posted the second half of his interview with joe esposito yeah uh, the first half was great so uh check that out if you guys get a chance um our personal twitters i am at bobby shortle steve is at dead underscore anchorus stephanie hello cookie um and bob's email address <laughs> Uh, real one or the Talking Give Comics? Give the Talking Comics one. Okay, it's Bob Ryer at TalkingComics.com. <laughs> TalkingComicBooks.com. Oh, see? Send him all your... Uh, oh, did that just... <laughs> yes, you, you could say it. Oh, no, something just it popped. I oh. thought we had technical difficulties. No, we're fine. No. We're actually fine. Anyways, Fantastic Four questions. Send him your questions. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you have a Bob to ask the questions yes, to. There you go. And just FYI... Oh, wait, I guess we have another podcast in between then, but Fan Expo Canada is coming up soon. Yay! I thought it was this weekend. Carry on, everyone else. <laughs> All right. What an awkward way to end the show. Um, <laughs> so that is Sorry, it. my bad, everyone. It's all right. Don't worry about it. It's fine. So that is it for the Talking Comic Books podcast for this week. For Steve. Good night. Bob. Good night. And Stephanie. Whoops. I have been Bobby. <laughs> Until next time on Talking Comics. To be... Continued. <laughs>